you are willing and able to stand with me, we're going to read today's scripture. If you want to open in your book or your Bible to Mark 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciple to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. But as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplace. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Thank you for standing with me. Wow, what a passage. Thank you, Joan. Come on, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> she does such a great job. I specifically request Joan uh, for these longer ones. Well, before I forget, tomorrow's a special day, did you know? Not only has chime changed, but tomorrow we get to exercise one of those fantastic American liberties of voting. I have a quote for us. Ah, Thomas Jefferson, we do not have government by the majority. We have government by the majority who participate. Ah, well said, TJ. We love you, and uh, thanks for reminding us. 
So tomorrow, take time, pray. Bring your faith, ask the Lord to guide you, give you wisdom, and vote. And if you're maybe among those who feel tempted to be cynical about voting, ah, what does my one little vote mean? Then this passage is for you. Jesus multiplying the little thing that we bring in faith and obedience. Now, he can multiply that and do things we couldn't have imagined by ourselves. All right? So tomorrow, remember, go out and vote. And, uh, yeah. Oh, Tuesday. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, I knew that. I, tomorrow, get ready like you're going to vote. And, uh, <laughs> thank you, Tuesday. Yes, yes, yes. Well, now on to what is really on my mind, this passage. And um, I want to just also just, I had a conversation with a guy this week who's new to our church. And, you know, one group of people that have really been showing up here are people who have found themselves sort of disconnected, disaffected, and maybe even a little bit disillusioned with church. And I've been meeting a lot of people who are still really curious about Jesus, but church, man, just makes them uncomfortable. It just has been hard. More and more people today are not going to church. And I want to just thank you, church, for being a safe place for people like that. I asked him, how did you feel coming in? He's like, I felt so welcomed. And I just want to thank you so much for all that you are doing just to welcome people. And if you're one of those people that is visiting us and new and not sure you really want to be here, hey, you're in the right place. We love you, and God loves you, and we're so glad you're among us. It's a privilege to have you. So we are in the Gospel of Mark, and we are learning about Jesus together. Last week, we learned about how Jesus shifted gears with his disciples. This whole series is focused around what it means to follow Jesus. And through Peter's eyes, we're looking at what it was like to walk right there with Jesus on those dusty streets of Galilee, with the wind of the Sea of Galilee in our faces, and to know what it was like to step into these miraculous moments and to follow him and be a part of this amazing thing that he's doing. And so Jesus shifted a gear last week. At first, he had his disciples with him, and they're just watching what Jesus is doing, much like you're doing right now. You're just watching. And uh, they're watching him teach. They're watching him do miracles. Not much more is expected than just to learn. But then this last week, he shifted gears, and he begins to send them out two by two. He gives them authority. Do you remember why? To do everything that they had saw, seen him do. Remember, I joked around, and I called people. I'm like, hey, why don't you come up and finish the sermon? You know, like, oh, that would be crazy. Can you imagine if that's how we did church? If I just said, okay, it's your chance, Anthony. Come on up here. Oh, he would be ready. He'd be ready. Um, but this is what it means to follow Jesus. Let's just really make this very simple. It's so simple, it's easy to overlook. So you veterans, take this to heart. What it means to follow Jesus is more than this, but it's never less. It's never less than learning to do what we see him doing. Especially the things that don't feel germane to our personality, that don't feel natural, that feel impossible, as we're about to learn this morning. Especially those things. Because if you're only open to the things that are natural to you, then where does the supernatural fit in our life, right? Would, could you use some more of the supernatural presence of Christ in your life? Well, it's, 
learning how to step out and to do those things that Jesus is calling us to do, even when it feels beyond us. Listen to this great quote by Timothy Keller, and he just nails it right here. In his book, Generous Justice, How God's Grace Makes Us Just, he says, when the Spirit enables us to understand what Christ has done for us, now understand, he means with the head and the heart. It becomes personalized to us. It's not just something you've learned about from a distance, but it just connects and has meaning for you on a personal level. Watch, he goes, when we understand in in this way, the result is a life poured out in deeds of justice, and there's our word for today, compassion for the poor. Do you agree with this? This is such a radical way of thinking about life. It isn't about, okay, why should you go be compassionate? The moralistic view is because you should, because it's the right thing to do. Now, that might be true, but that is not the wellspring of power that you are meant to draw from, your own moral conviction. That is a part of it, yes, but it's the byproduct of what Tim is saying here is the deeper wellspring of what we learn to draw from when it comes to having vision for a life of compassion in our workplace, in our families, and in our world. It is the wellspring of what Christ has done for us. And the deeper we experience it, understand it at the heart and mind level, it gives us a vision that we would never have left our own devices. It motivates us. It creates a source of power and vision and imagination that we can't get to by ourselves. Isn't that exciting? This week, we're going to get to learn from Jesus, get this, how to carry his compassion to other people in our life. That's it right there. That's the message. This message is about following Jesus and that it means being, number one, stretched by Jesus' compassion for other people, compassion for your children, your siblings, your parents, your neighbor, your teammate, that coach who's really annoying you because he's not giving you the playtime you wish you got. Uh, Compassion for people who annoy us. Remember last week's story, the jacuzzi guy? (laughs) Compassion for people that we feel like, why should I care? Compassion. We're stretched by his compassion for others, but it also means we're being filled with his compassion for us. These two things, following Jesus, is about being stretched for others so that we can be stretched to be filled with more of his compassion for us. There we go. Let's start with the first point, that following Jesus will stretch you with his compassion for others. Look at verse 34. This is such a beautiful moment. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion. There it is. First time we've seen it show up in the Gospel of Mark, but not the last. He had compassion on them. That compassion's been operating in every scene we've been watching. When he heals the woman who's been bleeding, when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, when he reaches out and he heals the leper, the, story, the very end of our passage, all the healing and teaching that he's doing is coming out of a life of compassion. Everything Jesus said, did, and thought was motivated out of that compassion. Now, that's so important. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, let's talk about how Jesus' compassion stretches us. It stretches us, number one, because it often feels like an interruption. Are you with me? 
How many people here love being interrupted? You know, when you're focused and you're just, man, you are in the zone. How many people here just love a good interruption? Come on now, parents, isn't that why we had kids? <laughs> we just like, oh, my life is too boring. I need some good interruption in my life. Let's, let's have a few. Now, when you look at this moment where Jesus has compassion on the crowd, can we go to the scene of the, the rolling green hills? It's beautiful. It's idyllic. It's just, look at this image. This is the Sea of Galilee. These are the rolling green hills along Galilee. And Jesus was probably in a scene much like this, the green grass. Notice Mark comments on the green grass. And it just looks wonderful, doesn't it? Like, ah, wouldn't it have been awesome to be there to see Jesus do this awesome stuff? Ah, Yes, except when you put it in context. Much of Jesus' works look amazing until you see them in context. Here's the context, because uh, it's going to get a little messy. The disciples have been ministering. They've come back. They've reported Jesus what they're doing, and then the crowd finds them, and they're surrounding them. Do you remember what Mark said about how busy they were? They were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. Did you catch that? It's, they're just so busy. There's so much going on, and Jesus is like, hey, come away with me to a place, and let's rest. I want to renew your strength. And the disciples are like, finally, he sees us. He sees what we need. Oh, thank you, Jesus. They get in the boat. They're going to get a little nice, a little quiet time with Jesus, get replenished, have Jesus all to themselves. And then they see this crowd. Come on now. They see the crowd. How would you feel in this moment? You're tired, you're hungry. You've been surrounded by the crowds all day. How are you feeling? You feeling, you feeling excited? You feeling ready for a miracle? You feeling fired up? You feeling pumped? Yeah. Verse 31 says that they hadn't even had time to eat. Yeah, I don't think they're excited. Look at this moment. Do you remember Jairus with the woman? This is that moment. Do you remember Jairus, Jesus and Jairus? Jairus comes to him. His daughter's at the point of death. He's like, I'm going to go with you. And Jairus is like, yes, Jesus is coming with me. They're walking. And then what does Jesus do? He stops, and he starts looking for the woman. And his interruptibility for the woman means what for Jairus? Do you remember how the disciples were feeling? What are you doing? He's like, someone touched me. And they're like, no kidding, dude. What? <laughs> they're just like, come on. And you've got to just really appreciate these moments because now it's the disciples who are waiting, and this is how it feels like when Jesus is calling us into his compassion, it feels like an interruption to our plans, to our agenda. It's an interruption to our time. It's an interruption to what we are already have planned and are committed to in our life. I love how interruptible Jesus is, don't you? But I don't like being interrupted. Are you with me? I don't like it. I remember one time my wife and I were getting ready to go on a date, and we had it all lined up, but then one need after another with my kids just started to thin that thing away. And I got into such a mood. I just, at one moment, just go, can't you just figure this out for yourself? I know I said that. My kid was five. <laughs> they were five, and my wife just looks at me, and she's like, oh, you know, that's not very attractive. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Gosh. Ruining the mood. I know. I'm ruining the mood. What makes being interrupted so annoying? Come on now. I mean, we, no one loves it. Come on. I, you know, it's like if you're a teenager, you've got a good YouTube video going on. You're having a great time, and your parents want you to take the trash out. Are you with me? Come on. You are taking classes, you got your sports, your clubs, you're busy, you're in the middle of whatever, and your parents are like, hey, can you help me with the trash? Are you like, yes, thank you, mom and dad? No. <laughs> what makes being interrupted so annoying is because it, it forces us to surrender our control, our self-centeredness, come on, our expectations, and it can feel like a distraction. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes Jesus feels like a distraction. Like his invitation to be compassionate is a distraction from caring about people we already have in our life. And he's asking us to stretch our care and concern for those that maybe we feel like, why should I care about them? Why should I care about this? Are you with me? Uh, caring for myself is more than enough. And I mean that in all seriousness. Have you ever been there where you feel like just taking care of yourself is taking you everything you have? And to care for others is just like, how can I make room in my life when I don't even feel like I can take care of myself? You got me? Yeah. Listen to Tim Keller. He has a really cool, or no, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I'll get this great quote. I'm bringing out the heavy hitters today. Listen to this great quote about it. You're going to want to keep this. It's in the notes if you go online. But the great thing, if one can, I love that, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. Get this. The life God is sending one day by day. Man, I love that. Now, here's the thing. God's challenge to step into his compassion is going to be an interruption to our lives because it's going to ask us to care beyond what we already care. It's going to interrupt our existing priorities. It's going to ask us to care and stretch. Think of Grinch. Remember the Grinch with Jim Carrey, his heart He's all, I'm feeling. Do you remember that? He's screaming, and they show his little heart, and it grew like a quarter of an inch. And he's writhing in pain. It's an interruption to the things we care about. And God, what God cares about will always feel like an interruption to what we already care about. Sometimes it can feel like there's, they're mutually exclusive, that maybe one has to go. To make room for what he cares about means sometimes we have to put to death things that are taking up room in our hearts. Where do you feel that in your life? Where do you feel the invitation from the Lord to have compassion? Where is it stretching you? Okay, so it stretches us because it, require, it interrupts us, but how about this one? Jesus is number two. Jesus' compassion stretches us when we don't feel like we have enough. Okay, now let's talk about that for a minute. Sometimes we're willing to be interrupted, but we don't feel like we've got what it takes. 
Verse 37, but Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Don't you just love that moment? This is so cheeky Jesus. Jesus is cheeky, and he's got some panache to him. And if you go to the Gospel of John, Jesus already knows what he's going to do, but the disciples don't know that. But Jesus answered, verse 37, you give them something to eat. How would you feel at this moment? You're hangry, you're exhausted, you're frustrated. He says, you do something. How do you feel? How do you feel about that moment? How would you feel in this moment right there? 5,000 families. It's gotten late. Jesus has gotten a little carried away with his sermon gone a little long. You know, Jesus, if you had just shut this down an hour ago, we wouldn't be here. Maybe they're a little irritated, a little, a little frustrated with him. Okay. Have you ever felt like you don't have enough? This is the moment. It's late. They're hungry. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in a solitary place. And who carries enough spare change to throw a surprise party for 5,000 families. <laughs> I mean, seriously, come on. Uh, Jesus' compassion stretches us when we don't feel like we have enough. Have you ever been there? Okay, let me give you a couple examples. When you don't feel like you have enough resources, enough time to care, enough energy or compassion itself, you don't care about the person. And God's asking you to care about someone that you don't care about. How about this? You don't have enough experience or training in your life. Have you ever been there? No, Lord, when I'm trained, I'll do it. Are you with me? Okay. Where have you ever had a moment where Jesus invited you to do something, challenged you to step in with his compassion, and you didn't feel like you had enough? When have you had that moment in your life? I remember... Uh, I was coming back from a workout. It was early in the morning, and I was exhausted from the workout. I just wanted to get home and get a shower. And, yep, I see these young guys on the side of the road with the car broken down. This is before cell phones, by the way. So you couldn't just say, oh, they can call somebody. All right, there was that moment. Can I stop and help these guys? Do you remember this story? so I don't need to go into it. <laughs> Where are these moments for us? Where are these moments with our children, with our friends, when they want to interrupt us and we don't think we have enough? We don't, we don't have enough training. I'll give you an example. My friend of mine um, was at her daughter's house and there was an incident on their street. There was some gunshots, and this perpetrator ran into one of their, her neighbor's homes. Police were on the street, and it was all cornered off, but the house she was in, my friend, was, part, was cornered off as well, that close. And she's like, I need to leave. And her daughter tells her, don't you dare get into this situation. Just leave and go home. And she walks out, and she sees the owner of the home that has now been sieged by this wild person on the curb crying. Picture the scene. Police are running everywhere. Um, there's mayhem. There's chaos. People are all trying to watch. And in the midst of this huge crowd, she just sees this one lonely woman on the curb with her face in her hands. She's not a SWAT 
trained person. I don't even think she knows CPR. But she felt compassion for this woman. And she just walked right into the whole scene. No one even stopped her. Walked right up to this woman and sat behind, right next to her and just said, are you okay? And the woman just started to sob her fear, her anxiety. And she just put her hand on her shoulder and said, can I pray for you? And brought the peace of Christ to that woman. Sometimes we don't feel like we have enough when we focus on ourselves alone. And that's where the disciples are. Look at verse 38. Jesus simply asks, how many loaves do you have? Don't you love this? I think Jesus already knows. But he wants them to really what? Why do you think he's doing this? I mean, Jesus, who can calm storms by himself and raise the dead, why is he doing this? Why does he want them to go find out what they have? I, I would love for you to discuss this with friends or family. What do you think Jesus is accomplishing by doing this? I think many things, but they come back, they got five loaves and two fish. I think these are the moments where when you're having to really look at what you have versus what's needed, and we call that the gap. The gap is the distance between what you have and what the situation needs. And the feeling that we can have that there's nothing we can do to help. Are you with me? And we just feel this yawning chasm between us and being used by God because who are you? You're busy. You don't have training. You don't, you don't even know how to take care of yourself and you feel like you just can't help. And Jesus is like, go look at what you got. Five loaves, two fish. What is five loaves for 5,000 families? Everybody? It is just about nothing. Can you imagine the disciples, how they would feel? These moments when you start to focus on what you have, and you start to feel what? You can get discouraged and paralyzed as you focus on how little you have against what's needed. Here's the math. Five loaves against 5,000 families. The gap. Now, what do we, does Jesus want to teach us here about stepping in and carrying his compassion it's going to stretch us because it's going to interrupt us. But get this, number two, it's going to stretch us right here when we don't feel like we have enough for this reason. Watch. Number one, we are not asked to give what we don't have. Sometimes we don't have it. We just literally don't. And I think sometimes we feel obligated to give what we don't have. And there's times when you just, Jesus doesn't ask them to go manufacture anything or put ourselves in debt when we don't have it, and we make unhealthy choices about giving ourselves away in ways that are not healthy. But listen, give what you have. Be honest. What do you really have to give? Number two, but sometimes we've got more than we realize when we take an honest account. Number three, when we focus on how little we have, it can paralyze us from offering anything at all. And we get so focused on the gap that we get discouraged and we start to doubt God can do anything with what we got. Let me give you an example. Um, I used to fundraise a lot for InterVarsity to raise our funds for our budget and for the whole ministry. And um, compared to this church, it was a very small budget, but it was still, you know, a couple million dollars and it was still a lot. And um, 
I was three months out from a certain deadline. I had to raise $50,000, and I was feeling pretty stressed about it. Three months, $50,000. That's a lot of money. I mean, when was the last time you raised $50,000 in three months? It's, it's, it's intimidating. And uh, so a woman this morning, while my wife and I were praying, made a gift of $50, and she put a little note and said, I know this is not enough to meet your need, but it's all I have, and I pray that you see it as a sign of God's goodness and favor for you. And that $50 was exactly 1,000 times less than what we needed. Think about the ratio, 1,000. If you multiply 50 by 1,000, you got 50,000. Look at this passage right here. If you've got five loaves, what's the ratio of five loaves to 5,000 families? It's 1,000. And my wife and I just said, you know, we can look at this as not enough, or we can look at it as a sign, as a seed, that God's going to grow up what we need from this little gift. And we decided to be naive and foolish and take a leap of faith. God, with this $50 in you, $50 in you is more than enough. And we just started to pray into it. I felt discouragement breaking away. I felt fear breaking away. God, this is what I have. This is what we got. We just offered it to God. We thanked him for what he gave us, for this woman. We took time just to thank God for that woman for giving us $50. And God started increasing our faith, our confidence, our joy, our peace. There's a moment in Mark 4.24. In Mark 4.24, Jesus says this, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Look at this, Mark 4.24. Do we have it? I don't think we do. I added this later. But listen, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and get this, and even more. The measure you use is the measure you will get and more. What was Jesus talking about? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more. How much more? What's the measure the disciples bring? Five. Five, five loads. The measure you use is the measure you will get. Do they get five loaves back from Jesus? Yes, they do. They get five loaves, and then how much more? A thousandfold more. When you bring to God your little obedience, your little step of obedience with a little faith in Him, He will take your one measure and multiply it a thousandfold. Where do you need to hear that in your life right now? that you bring him what you have and bring it and offer it to him and say, God, this is all I have, but I bring it to you, and with you, it's more than enough, and then allow him to feel, fill the gap. Here's what gap means. When you are faced with a gap, the next time God asks you to step into a miracle moment, here's what gap needs to mean for you. Gap stands for God always provides. And wherever you feel the gap in your life, and he's got you looking at a Grand Canyon, and you're like, Jesus, like, isn't that amazing? And you're like, no, it's not, Jesus. That Grand Canyon is the big hole in my life that I can't fill. And some of us have a big gaping hole in our life that we are afraid we can't fill. And Jesus is admiring the view because he's going to fill it. And he's inviting us to enjoy the view to believe that God will always provide, but you got to bring him what you have. And we often have more than we think we have. We have more faith than we think we have. Sometimes it's offering up a prayer. Sometimes it's just starting a spiritual conversation with somebody that you feel could never believe in Jesus. And it's just opening the door with them. 
to allow Christ's compassion into their life. Sometimes it's just offering money that you have. Sometimes maybe you can't save all the children in the world, but if you could just buy one Christmas box, one thing, and to know that your one little thing offered in faith can make an impact. Following Jesus is going to stretch us with compassion because it's interruptive and we don't always feel like we have enough. But number two, because listen, Jesus' compassion is going to fill us. The reason he stretches us is to fill us. Look at this verse, verse 48. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now look at this moment. How many times have we been on the Sea of Galilee? Have you been here before? How many times have we been on this moment where they're in a storm with Jesus? Yeah, this is the second time. They're in the middle of the lake, and there's no turning back. You've just watched Jesus multiply the loaves and feed 5,000 people, and you're straining. Verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. What's Mark trying to show us right there in that storm? I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, they're in this boat scene because Jesus is trying to teach them what they didn't understand about this miracle with the five loaves. They're in this boat straining all on their own because when Jesus calls us out and he sends us out, when he sends us out to the world with his compassion, we're going to get tempted to feel like we, it's all up to us and we're all on our own. And that's why many of us don't step out to begin with because we don't think we have the time or the energy or we don't feel qualified. And it's that challenge that we feel that keeps us from even going to begin with. The disciples are out in the middle of that sea and that's how it feels. It feels like allowing Jesus to send us out is like putting us in the middle of a lake to drown us. The disciples are all on their own. Jesus this time is not even in the boat. He's watching from the shore. He's not even with them and they're all by themselves. They've got out there, and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. Sometimes when you're following Jesus and you get out there, you can feel, I'm out there, Lord. I'm serving you. I'm taking care of my loved one. I'm fighting their sickness with them every day, and I feel like I'm in over my head and all alone. When you do step out, you're going to have moments when you feel like you're all by yourself, and you're going to be like, where's all that rah-rah Jesus stuff? And there you are, straining against the wind, against your doubts, your fears. And you're like, where's the Lord? And Mark is trying to show us it's because they don't understand our hearts are hard. What's he talking about? And here's the main point. The point is this, is that when we're serving the Lord and we get in over our head and it feels like nothing we're bringing to the situation is solving it in our marriages, with our children, in situations with our work or an area of ministry or calling, we can feel like in a place of witness, like nothing is happening. Nothing is working. We don't feel like we're breaking through in any way. We just feel like we're all by ourselves. It's in these moments that Jesus wants to just dig a little deeper into our heart and draw us out and show us you're not alone. But he is with us and he's coming to us to show us his compassion for the crowd is also for us. His compassion for that crowd is also for you. And the compassion that he has 
for the people around us is the compassion he has for us personally. Meaning this, there is no assignment that Jesus will give us where we're alone. There's no challenge Jesus will give us that is bigger than we can fulfill with him. But sometimes we get so focused on ourselves, on what we don't have, that we start to lose our confidence. As fathers, as husbands, as mothers, there's prayers that we're bringing to God, and it feels like those prayers are like just flying right back in our faces. We're asking, God, would you please move in this area? I'm praying for you to move. And it feels like you throw that prayer out to God and it just gets blown right back in your face. And you can't see where God is moving in your life. And Jesus shows us where those places are where we're just depending on ourselves. And it's not that God has abandoned us. He's just showing us it's not going to be about us. It's not going to be about what we bring. It's going to be about what we bring plus him. And in his time, he's going to meet us on those waters and he is going to calm the storm. Where is that place for you? Where has he sent you out that he needs to renew that confidence in you? You're not alone. Jesus stretches us by sending this out because the more you're stretched, the more you can receive. I don't know if you can, can, I don't know if you can see that in this moment, but they're being stretched in both of these scenes, and it's that stretch. Think of the, the wineskin image. That new wine comes in, and it begins to just push out our hearts and stretch us. And when we get stretched like that, it can cause us to be afraid and go, oh, whoa, 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 Jesus, I don't know. I can't do this. Because we start looking at what we can do, what seems possible to us. But Jesus has sent us out to bring his name, his good news, into places that we are tempted to just write off. It's I, Jesus, just send them away. There's nothing we can do here. And so we do that. We do that in our workplaces. Like, we think, what do you want me to do? Beat them over there with the Bible. I can't do that. And we kind of just write off people in our life. Places, areas of our life where we don't even open the door to let Jesus move miraculously because our imagination can't go beyond what we can do in our own strength. But when we let Jesus send us out and stretch us by calling us into things that are bigger than ourselves, that stretch, it creates a hunger in you. Listen, when you let Jesus stretch you, stretch you out of your comfort zone, to open up places of your life and say, Jesus, how can I bring your compassion here? And to follow those nudges that he gives you, it's going to create a hunger in you. See, there's two kinds of hungry people in Mark that are getting Jesus. It's the people who are broken, and it's the people who are bringing the broken to Jesus. Do you see it? The woman who is bleeding, she is so broken, and it's that brokenness that puts her in touch with her hunger for God. Who else? How about the friends that brought, Levi, or brought the, uh, the paralyzed man? He says he saw their faith. Their hearts are just stretched and broken for this man, and they're the ones that get a front row seat and watch Jesus do this amazing thing. When Jesus sends us out to do things that are impossible for us to do on our own, it stretches us, and that stretching creates a hunger for God that you can't manufacture just by reading the Bible and uh, trying to get fired up. 
It's about carrying it with you and starting to do stuff with what you see Jesus doing in the Bible. It's okay, Lord, how can I do this this week? And so remember last week, I was like, hey, take a moment and pray for somebody. So I want to come back to that. That's an easy one, right? There's a simple one this week. Reach out before you leave service to someone you know, maybe someone you don't know. This woman last week after this service was in tears and she said, thank you for having people reach out and pray. This person reached out to me, prayed for me, and God really, really touched me. And she just, tears come down her face because one of you did that. You guys, these are like little, little baby steps, I know. But you start to step out and do things with what Jesus is showing you. It's going to increase your hunger for him because you're going to feel like, God, if you don't show up, I'm dead. And when you let yourself get into those places, wow, watch out, world. Watch out. And that's what this represents right here, doesn't it? It represents what Tim Keller said that Jesus stepped out and did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. His life became a source of life for many. One life. In his one life, he became the gateway to salvation for all of us. And this morning, maybe it's just a renewing of our faith that this little thing, this little piece of bread or whatever it is, that by taking it in and eating it, we are accepting Jesus' call to carry his compassion to the world, his compassion for us. We are going to take it in as an act of faith. Lord, I want to carry your compassion to my spouse, and to those around me. Maybe the big gap for you this week is forgiveness. I was, it might just be forgiving your spouse this week. That's just a little freebie. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he lifted up the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this and remember the Lord. He lifted up a cup of probably the best wine ever. I don't know what it was, but it was good. And he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink this. Remember the Lord. If you'd like for God to show you this week where to carry, where he is calling you to carry his compassion to someone this week, if you'd like to say, Lord, I want you to show me. I'm willing to see it, and I want to step out. Go ahead and stand right now. I'm going to pray a blessing over you and send you out. If you're just willing to say, if you're not ready for that, you're just trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, you can stay seated. But if you're ready to say, Jesus, show me. I'm ready to be stretched. All right, maybe you put your hands out like this, Lord. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, show me this week. Show me today. Show me even in this room 
where you would like me to carry your compassion to someone else. And give me faith to believe that with you, I have more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week, my friends. And come on up and get prayer.